When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Lucky Let Cord Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Otto. Happy to be with you on Friday, June 30th, last day of June. And also a special day because the Wimbledon draws have been revealed. We're going to talk about that on today's podcast with Richard Pagliaro, Tennis Now editor, and Eric Goodris, Tennis Now contributor, joining me for a lengthy discussion about Wimbledon 2023. Draws are out. We've got lots of topics to discuss on both the men's and women's side. Of course, on the men's side, we're talking about history in the making. Novak Djokovic going for his eighth Wimbledon title and his 24th Grand Slam singles title. Can anyone stop the trailblazing Serb? We don't think so. We're going to talk about why. We're going to talk about possible pitfalls. And we're also going to talk about the women's side. What do we think about Iga Fialtek's chances at Wimbledon this year? How did the draws break? Who got the better draw and why? And also a little bit about the comeback of Caroline Wozniacki. She's going to be back in the game, returning to the tour this summer at Montreal, and then taking a wild card into the U.S. Open, former world number one, 30 titles on the WTA Tour. Excited to see the Golden Retriever back in the mix. So lots to talk about ahead of Wimbledon. Day one just around the corner. We're going to break it down right now. Enjoy the interview and we'll see you guys on the other side. Eric and Richard, it's Wimbledon time. The draw has been out. I've been up since 2.45 a.m. Pacific Coast time. I wish I was at Wimbledon, but I'm not. But us three, we're together in spirit. Hi, Eric. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. Hey, Richard. What's up? I'm so excited to talk to you guys. Our attempts to get together, uh, <laughs> it lasted longer than my last three relationships combined. <laughs> it's, been, great. It's, it's great that we can finally do oh, that. Man. We're all here together. Pumped up. I'm not the technological guru here, but we're ready to go. We're ready to talk Wimbledon. I'm glad to get you guys on the line. It's Friday. The draw is out. We're going to begin main draw action on Monday, July 3rd. It's it's a good time to be a tennis fan. Holiday weekend in the States. And I think we should get this started by talking about a question that Eric wanted to raise, which is, can we really draw anything from the grass court three-week season that we've just had? Eric, it was a question that you wanted to talk about. I'm going to leave the floor to you. Uh, my my response is yes and no. And the reason why I give that response is because it's such a short uh, lead up to Wimbledon. Uh, it's not as extended as the other parts of the season. Um, that, again, all these players are just getting off the clay. They're getting readjusted. And it, it, it's a transition for sure. I would say, however, that uh, seeing Alcaraz win at Queens Club is a very strong indicator that he is certainly improving very quickly on the grass and uh, is certainly a, a complete contender for Wimbledon. But other than that, I think that, uh, again, the, uh, these players are all getting adjusted and somebody may have a great week, may win a tournament. Uh, certainly it was great to see Petra Kvitova win there. That certainly puts her up at the top of, of the list in terms of the women. But uh, I, I think there's still going to be a lot of adjusting going on for these players once they're at Wimbledon. Yeah, I'd agree. I'm a yes and no person. I mean, I don't think you can take a lot out of maybe Daniel Medvedev losing early and not really having a great warm-up, I still think you can count on him as one of the players that is, has a potential for a deep run. But I'm with you. It's a yes and no. There are some things you can find from the grass uh, lead-up season. You could definitely tell who's comfortable on the grass and who's in good shape. I mean, I think we learned a little bit about Francis Tiafo and his ability on the grass by winning that Stuttgart title. Richard, you got a take on this? 
Yeah, I think like confidence is the one metric that we can't always measure. So we talk about wins, losses, match, head-to-head, stuff like that. But I do think like what what Eric said with Alcaraz is really applicable because if you look at his comments going into the grass court season, he's like, look, I've played a handful of grass matches. I don't know what I can do. He was really honest and about the uncertainty. And then you go win Queens Club, and he goes from that to like, hey, I think I can win Wimbledon now. So I think someone like that that has the game and then you're infusing him with the confidence it can be valuable on the other hand the flip side someone like serena williams won so many wimbledons i don't think she ever played a grass court once she would play on hard court in florida and then just go play or Djokovic. i don't think it matters really players like that but i think someone like adana vekic like beating rabaka and even though it wasn't a you know a hundred percent rabaka that's that's a big confidence win or someone like keys making the run to the final here that's a good confidence or coco beating jessica pagula so i think those are sort of confidence wins that, that can help you just feel more you know just better more positive more optimistic about your game going into wimbledon yeah i think keys is a good one i think uh, the three-week grass court season also serves as a reminder of just who is good on this season you see players like camila georgie yelena ostapenko and now keys making uh, making really good results and you see it on the men's side as well although we didn't get the normal uh, big dogs of berrettini and Kyrgios this year much on the grass those guys look horrible in fact coming heading into wimbledon so yeah i mean there's some there's some stuff you can take out of it and other things that you need to just take with a grain of salt but but it's um, nevertheless, I think it is a pretty good indicator of who, like who, like I said, who is comfortable on the surface, who, who, and we get we get those results in, and they do oftentimes mean something when you see a guy make a positive results. For instance, a Mackie McDonald who's playing pretty well right now, and Chris Eubanks. Those guys are just reminding us that yes, grass is a good surface for them, and it helps us, I think handicap for Wimbledon though it doesn't really tell us uh, it's not really a crystal ball in a lot of ways but um it's been a fun grass season for sure I mean the the three weeks and one of the, for me I want to ask you guys if you have any other takeaways from it for me Iga Shiantek's performance at Bad Homburg was kind of an eye-opener I feel like she's emerged as my pre-tournament favorite where I wouldn't have said that right after Roland Garros anybody else have a take on that I think it's a it's a really fair point. I thought, you know, just referencing back to what Eric said at the start, I thought Kvitova sort of reinforcing, solidifying her status. I mean, that's her sixth grass court title. I realize yeah. she hasn't been past the fourth round of Wimbledon since like 2014, since she last won. But, you know, to win Miami and then come in and beat some really quality players on the grass. She's lefty. She plays flat and low. She can disarm anybody. I mean, I, th- I think she's someone to watch. But I think you're, you're right on Iga. Before this tournament, I wouldn't have said, you know, even though she's world number one top seed, you just look at her Wimbledon results as a pro, and they, they haven't been spectacular. I wouldn't have said – I would have probably leaned toward Rabakina or Sabalenka, but you got to put Iga – just based on the movement, also the ability to shorten up the forehand, I think is a, is a good sign for her. And uh, hopefully this food poisoning or virus or whatever it was, hopefully it's not a, a big deal. Mm. Eric, got a question for you. This might come as a surprise, actually, but why the heck has Petra Kvitova not been able to do more damage at Wimbledon since her last title? Is it just nerves, bad luck, a string of results that, you know, she's the best, one of the best grass quarters, if not the best on the women's tour? That's true. Um, that's a great question. Um, I think partially it could be that, and just over the years, you know, she's gotten involved in a lot of complicated three-set matches, not just at Wimbledon, but other places. And I just think, and again, I think just the players have, they know what to expect now. I think when Kvitova burst on the scene, it was just so, she was so overwhelming on grass. And so I think it's a probably a combination of those things, probably a confidence thing as well. So I think, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens uh, uh, this year. Always winning a tournament before Wimbledon gives you a lot of confidence. And um, she seems like she's in a really good place uh, mentally, physically. So we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Richard. I think also I was in Miami when she won, and she was really relaxed in the press conferences afterwards. And she wasn't saying, like, oh, I'm going to retire this year or next year. But she was almost implying, like, look, I know the end is in sight. I just want to go out and compete and have some fun. I don't know how many more years. You know, she wasn't suggesting, like, oh, I'm done next year. But you can tell she's starting to think about that. And maybe that takes a little bit of the burden off, like, look, just enjoy it while it's here because she's someone who knows what it's like when it's taken away from you. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting to me, though, that really, I mean, since 2014 where she – 
defeated Bouchard 6-3-6 love in the final. You have a loss to Yankovic in the third round. And you get a second round loss to Makarova, which, you know, these are acceptable losses. Then 2017, a loss to Brengel. Keep in mind there were some personal conflict and with, with that tragic um, accident where the stabbing with Kvitova, which really messed with her career, I think, for a couple of years. Lost to Sasnovich in the first round, 2018. Just some weird results. And then 2019, I thought she was putting it together, made the second week and lost to Conta in three sets. That was a good run for Conta there. And then a loss to Sloane Stevens in 2021 in the first round. And last year, Bedosa, third round. I think it's nerves. I think she puts too much pressure on herself. Could be. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like th- there's definitely a window. She's 35-12 and 12 lifetime at this tournament, two titles. I feel like she's pretty much being overlooked in terms of, like, she could win this title, and it wouldn't be that big of a surprise, yeah. I think, when it, if all was said and done and she was hoisting the dish. And she hits the ball so clean, and also the lefty serve on the odd side. You're looking at some of these long deuce games where the odd side is so critical, where she can take you off the court. If she's making the first serve, she can pull you off the court, completely off the court, and then the next, then it's a question of is she going to make the next strike? But also, I think, you know, you're right about the nurse, but also just inherently her game is so flat. She doesn't have a lot of margin. So if you're a little bit off, if you're a little bit nervous, if you get a few bad bounces, if the ball doesn't come up, you know, she just doesn't have a lot of margin. Her ball, it's almost like a Connors. It's clearing the net. So, you know, it's like the slightest thing can throw her off. But I haven't looked at the weather, but you close the roof. I mean, watch out. She's yeah. deadly indoors, too. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to talk about her a little bit. I just feel like there's got to be another great result at Wimbledon before the end of her legendary career. But we'll move on to another legend. His name is Novak Djokovic. He's a 23-time Grand Slam men's singles champion now. Um, he's Last I checked, he's on top of the world. Didn't play a grass court event, but comes into Wimbledon as the heavy favorite. I mean, the numbers pretty much tell that story. He's, what, 86-10 and 10 lifetime at Wimbledon. He's won his last 28 matches and won the last four titles at Wimbledon. Eric, um, what are your thoughts on Novak coming into this tournament? Is there anyone that could even hold a candle to him? Is, is there any shot that he doesn't emerge as the, the eventual champion? I mean, there's always the potential that something could happen. Someone could upset him. Um, but, again, it's always... Nowadays, Djokovic against the field, and in some ways, it's Djokovic against himself. I mean, again, yeah. he he's playing for history. He's playing for uh, another Wimbledon title. So a lot of it is on him and just how he kind of, especially navigates the first week and just you know the you know amount of on court time management and everything, um, mm-hmm. not getting too too far ahead of himself thinking about, you know, another Wimbledon title. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, as far as who could, I mean, again, we don't talk about another potential meeting with Alcaraz, but that's, that's, that's to be determined. So again, I think a lot, again, especially in the first week, I think it's mostly just Djokovic and himself managing all the expectations that he places on himself and just not looking too far ahead to what could happen. Mm. And Richard, I'm gonna. This is a question I'm gonna ask you, and I'm gonna throw it back to Eric when you're done. If he wins this title, it will be his eighth Wimbledon title, his 24th major title. Does it make him the best grass court player ever in your mind? If he wins this title, uh, if he wins this title, it would solidify his status. I think as the as the goat, as for, the greatest the, player ever, as far as the greatest grass court, as far as the greatest grass court player. I mean, I saw Sampras prime time. Sampras. I know it was a different grass. It was a different strings it was different rackets but i mean he really played real grass court tennis and he never ever lost a wimbledon final ever mm-hmm. his whole career so i and you know federer eight wimbledon titles but yeah i mean you got to put Djokovic right there as the best or one of those three best but i think to me that he's the go i mean if he wins here and then you're looking at the calendar slam he could conceivably do that and also the just his center court record that he hasn't lost on center court in a decade that's a huge oh huge sort of aura of invincibility going up against him. So to me, the question is also just can he keep it together amid the pressure, which he's done exceptionally well, but also he play, he still plays a physical style at his age, and if he gets a slight 
you know, some, some sort of lower body or leg injury, something like that. That could be a challenge. But I got to say, last year when we were all on this call before Wimbledon, I kept saying, well, Djokovic, you got to get up on him. You got to make him play from behind. And then look what happened. Sinner got up on him. He beat Sinner. Kyrgios got up on him in the final. He beat Kyrgios. I mean, you have to say this guy is, he's obviously the overwhelming favorite. And I would love to see him go up against Alcaraz. Would love to see that. Yeah, we're looking forward to that. That potential final matchup, of course, Yannick Sinner, Hubie Hercatch, a couple other good players in Djokovic's right. half of the draw. Right, and in his section, Novak section, and Hubie has beaten Federer there. I mean, Hubie's a dangerous guy with that, sir. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. He would be the one of the guys early on that he would have to get by. But I like your call on Sinner, too. I love Sinner on the grass. And I, last year I was there, the first week, he was practicing with Sinner a lot, Novak and Sinner. They had great practices, too. Mm. And so, Eric, um, I'll just throw this stat in before I put the question to you. Djokovic, 3-1 versus Federer on grass, 3-0 versus Federer in Wimbledon finals. Is it between Djokovic and Federer for the best male player on grass? I I guess not, because Richard threw in Sampras, and I think think he makes a good case. But what's your take on the grass goat if Djokovic happens to win his eighth Wimbledon title in in a couple weeks? I think I'd have to echo what uh, Richard said. Again, we're talking about the grass. We're talking about it was, it was a different time. Of course, when Sampras was playing, it's a different style of play. So Sampras has to be in that conversation, I would say, just because Djokovic has played so well how the court's playing now that you almost have to give him the, the edge over Federer just because uh, – the way that the, the courts play now, but I think it's hard to um, to pick one over the other. As Richard said, it was because of the different errors and the different playing styles. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Sampras Djokovic is a match we, we would like to see in a Wimbledon final. Yeah, and Djokovic that was his idol, so I'm sure he'd love to see that himself. <laughs> Get a yeah. crack at that serve. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Maybe an AI version of that at a Wimbledon final. But I'm gonna throw yeah. I'm gonna throw it around a little bit. I want to see if you guys did your homework because I gave you a script of 15 questions, very long-winded script. But one of them asks the question, what is your most outrageous pick for a run to the semis or behind? I'm going to start with myself, and I'm going to say Andy Murray reaches the semifinals at Wimbledon this year, facing Raonic in the quarters. <laughs> That's my outrageous <laughs> scenario. And I'm feeling like Andy Murray could do some damage. I know it might sound crazy, but... He's, the, he's great on grass. He's great at Wimbledon. He's played so well lately and really underperformed um, performance-wise at the slams. And in a lot of ways, he hasn't been past the third round, I think, in a long time. Hasn't been to the quarters since 2017 at Wimbledon. That's my outrageous pick. Eric, you got anything outrageous for me? Um, you know what? I'm just, I don't know if it's that outrageous, but I'm going to go with Grigor Dimitrov because... He certainly has had his, uh, you know, opportunities in the past. And, uh, you know, he did reach one Wimbledon semifinal back in 2014. And he's been playing pretty good, of you know, of late. So if he could somehow kind of get things going, who knows? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Grieger as sort of a, the, out, the outrageous pick. <laughs> I like that. I mean, you know, I think Grigor's always there for a potential run deep. He's, he's, if he's healthy, the way he plays the game, he, he really has the game to match up with anybody. Um, and he's had a pretty solid season. You're right, 20 and 12 on the year. Hasn't picked up a title yet, but was um, recently in the quarterfinals at Queens, facing off with Alcaraz, made the second week at Roland Garros. So I think that's a good pick. How about you, Richard? That's a great pick because also Grigor's greatest title came in London when he won the ATP Finals at the O2. So he mm-hmm. has great vibes there, and he always gets good. That's a great pick. I like that. Uh, I would say on the men's side, I'm I'm going to kick myself for saying this because I always say it and I get burned. I'm going to say Ben Shelton because of the lefty serve because he's so explosive, but he's also so raw that you know that these guys can just sometimes just outplay him just because he's so inexperienced. Or I would say Corda, Sebi Corda. I mean, yeah. He just, 
impresses me every time I see him in a big match, even though he lost to Novak earlier, he tested him. He beat Medvedev in Australia. He can play flat. He can take the ball early. He's a much bigger guy than you think when you see him in person. He's a much taller, longer guy. It's hard to get the ball by him. And I feel like his serve has improved. It's still sort of a work in progress. I feel like it should be even better, but I feel like it has gotten better. So I, I do like him, and I just think Shelton is so talented, but I just think he's just a little too raw right now. Okay, but the prob- problem with those two picks is they're both in Andy Murray's They're both section. in the same section, and they're, they're with your pick. <laughs> they're both so, with Murray. Actually, so know. it can't happen. No, no, no. I think they're... Yeah, it I can't think happen. But, you know, I was going to say center, but that's not an outrageous pick. He's a number eight seed. He's a top ten seed. No, I wouldn't so, even allow yeah, that. I would say one of those two. Porter or Shelton. Yeah, I know the fun picks. Shelton has no experience, and it's crazy. He's got what he's played his first three grass court matches. We know what he can do with the serving on the offensive side of the ball. I just wonder if he can make enough returns to, to you know, because if he's broken at all, I think he might be in trouble. That's my worry for him right yeah. now. And he's very yeah. inexperienced I mean, like, you know, on the he's, surface. Yeah, he's just so young. I just I, I like what he brings though. He just brings that, fear. and I also like his entertainment value that he gets the crowd into it. He gets more pumped. But yeah, you're right. All your points are very good. Absolutely. Eric, do you think we I can... Ex- want- oh, do you have a point? Go Please, ahead. bring it on. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, uh, maybe maybe it's the same point. I was just curious what everybody thinks about this. We haven't talked about this section of the draw much, but the rude, the very rude section of the draw that I think every player wanted to land in just because rude had basically not done a whole lot of prep before Wimbledon. Right. So what do we think of that section of the draw? Good point. Well, that's why I was targeting Sinner because he's right there and he, and he has some guys that are more clay court guys early, but you could also say someone like Fritz who had a phenomenal Wimbledon last year. I mean, you know, he's a top 10 player, perennial top 10 player. Maybe he's not quite as athletic as those top guys, but he's got some serve, you know. Yeah, Eric, t- t- tell us what your thoughts are on it. I mean, I'm actually going to go with Sinner to, to reach to reach the semis because uh, I, I mean just I don't know I think he's due to make to, to break out uh, and uh, I just think this this section of the draw kind of favors him although you've got you've got Shapovalov here of course you got to the semis you can't count out Batista and Goose so this is I think this is going to be a very interesting section of the draw to, to keep an eye on because I think it's just wide open yeah, because technically- and you look at last year, Sinner played two of the really exciting, you know, matches and slams. Obviously, the Alcaraz match at the Open, but also the Djokovic match in Wimbledon. He's been there on the brink, on the verge, almost doing it. You got to figure sooner or later, it's going to happen. Yep, and the Alcaraz match at Wimbledon before that, which was incredible. Right, and um. Yep. But I, but you're right, Eric. The point, whenever you see a top four seed that is relatively unexperienced and hasn't done much on the grass, like Casper, for instance, I mean he's he's won one match at Wimbledon in his career, never been past the second round. I think that's a great opportunity for everybody else in that section to make a semi if they play well. Taylor Fritz included, Sinner, of course, Batista Gu. You mentioned he's got history at Wimbledon. He's good on the grass. Shapovalov needs a resurgence. This is his favorite place to play in all the world. So it will be a really cool section to see who comes out of it. Um, that's a very good point, and we'll have to keep an eye on that section because it's a little bit loose up there, and you never know what could happen. And speaking of loose, I wanted to get into two players that we just have no idea what to expect from them, but they're so damn good on the grass historically. That's Matteo Berrettini, Nick Kyrgios. Can we expect anything from either of these two guys, Richard? Uh, sadly, I'd say no on Berrettini just because it's the abdominal, and every time you serve and his serve is one of his biggest weapons, it, it's got to be really, really painful for him. And also his first round is a is a tough first round and yeah. no i don't think he's gonna I, he's just not gonna be able to you know curios with that serve you can never count him out but man he he just does not look right to me i don't know i'm not a doctor i mean the guy had knee surgery obviously i no i'm not optimistic for either one i would think curios could go a little bit further but i don't and i respect both of them i mean they're both a hell they're really good players obviously both of them and i would pick curious if he was healthy to, to go but he, he's not yeah. in my view from what i've seen he's not yeah, Eric, you've, you've seen the same things. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yes, absolutely. I think, uh, I think they're just both dealing with, as Richard pointed out, various physical issues. And uh, again, maybe hopefully they, they can recover, but I just, I'm just not seeing uh, it for either. And it's unfortunate for Curious because, of course, he got to the finals last year. So it's just uh, it's, he's got more pressure on him, of course, to defend those, uh, to, uh, not just the points, but uh, yeah. just all that expectation on him. So, um, yeah, it's unfortunate, but I, I just don't see them going more far this year. Yeah. And when you saw Paratini pull out of Queens as defending, you know that it's a serious, it's not like, oh, I'm pulling out so I can be, you know, it's just like, I'm not healthy, man. I can't defend. I mean, he just can't. He can't do it. Yeah, it's a shame. He's so he's the oft injured Berrettini. So much promise. Well, I guess we'll have to wait to maybe have to wait to twenty twenty four. But I hope that they can surprise us because they'll be really make a, for an interesting storyline if either one of those players can tap into their past previous grass court form. Speaking of past and previous, Venus Williams, one of the best ever at Wimbledon, is back. She's forty three. You guys, she's forty three, mm-hmm. and she's got a wild card. And 26 years after her Wimbledon debut, we're going to see Venus Williams try to become the third oldest player to win a women's singles match. I mean, how awesome is this, Eric? It's it's amazing. It's inspirational. Uh, and I think the cool thing, uh, just watching Venus in those two matches she played uh, leading up to Wimbledon, I mean, she, she looked pretty good. I mean, she hung in there against Georgie, and she played a good uh, three-set match, uh, she lost to Ostapenko, but there were promising things there. Of course, the grass is always going to suit Venus's game. And I think she's going to relish the opportunity to uh, to get back out there again. And she's certainly going to have the crowd support with her. And uh, again, it's, it's just great to see her um, playing, you know, playing better than she did last year. So that's yeah. that's a step forward <laughs> for yeah. her, definitely. Totally. Richard, what did you what did you take out away from her matches against Georgie and Ostapenko, and what do you think she can do against Alina Svitolina in the first round? Well, the things I took out was, number one, the champion's will and the heart, because she was really banged up in that. That was a three-hour and 16-minute match, and, she, man, she was almost in tears at one point because of, a, you know, getting treatment on her knee and her leg. as She left the court, came back, could have lost, had so many ups and downs, but I was really impressed just with her fight and her spirit and that she never gave in and that she wants to be there. You really see that. It's not like, oh, I'm just here to say goodbye. It's like, I'm here to play, I'm here to compete, I'm here to win. And the other big takeaway for me was, like Eric alluded to, she hit a handful of serves in the Georgia over 100 miles an hour. I know that doesn't sound outrageous for Venus Williams, but if you remember a few years ago when she was wearing the elbow sleeve, there she was serving like 90s, the 105. I mean, she really brought some heat when she had to bring it. And that was impressive to me that at her 43 years old that she could reach back and, I mean, she was hammering the ball. She really, I was impressed with that. I think the Ostapenko match, Ostapenko just out hit her in the end and she was tired from, the, yeah. you know, you go almost three and a half hours. She hasn't played back-to-back matches like that. The physicality, she's really tall to get to those low, flat balls. It takes a lot out of her. So I was really, really encouraged. I mean, the tough thing for her is she unfortunately drew Svid- Alina Svitolina, another wild card in the first round. That's going to be a brutal, brutally hard match match for her to win in my view but i would never count her out and the other thing i wanted to just touch on is i hear people ripping wimbledon for getting a wild card like and i i just like are you on drugs how do you <laughs> rip wimbledon for giving one of the greatest champions to ever play on center court I, like how do you rip them for doing that well they're taking away from someone else they're not taking away anything they're honoring her and the, and the sport is honoring her and at 43 years old to be able to go out there and beat a top 50 player i mean it's it's incredible i have so much just as someone who plays recreational you know how hard it is just to come back for her to do that i just have so much respect for her regardless of of what happens absolutely i here's a little stat the, venus has 18 top 10 wins at wimbledon which is probably more than most of the draw have wins or have played matches at Wimbledon. 18-8 and eight versus the top 10 lifetime at Wimbledon. Um, yeah. Just, played one of the greatest Wimbledon finals in history when she saved the championship points to beat Lindsay. And, and just a phenomenal, I mean, just one of the great champions you're ever going to see there. So I hope people really tune in and watch that match. It's going to be a center core match, I would imagine. Should be a good one. 
Uh, we'll keep moving along because we got tons of stuff to talk about. Russia's back in the mix at Wimbledon, as is, as is Belarus. They took the year off last year due to Wimbledon banning them. Um, so all those players return to the mix, and I think it'll bring on lots of frothy conversation in the press room, and and it'll definitely increase the uh, potency of the field dramatically. I wanted to get your take on that, um, Eric, and see if you felt that it makes a significant change this year, and if so, how will it feel different from last year with these players back in the mix? Well, it'll certainly be different because you have some of the, the top players like Medvedev, Sabalenka, Rublev, as a rank of back, so that levels the, the, the field, of course, and uh, they deserve to be there. Um, I think that it's just it'd be interesting to see how the Wimbledon crowds react uh, to those players. Uh, of course, we saw a lot of different reactions at Roland Garros that from we the did. French crowd. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what those reactions are from the Wimbledon crowd, and of course, as you alluded to how those players deal with the the press. And, uh, of course, Sabalenka had to endure some very withering uh, criticism in several of her post-match press conferences. Um, so that's an added layer that, they, that those particular players have to deal with outside of just trying to win their matches. So it'll be interesting to kind of see um, how they navigate all that. Um, or if, or if, it is an issue at all. It, it could go the other way. It could just be it's it's not as uh, pronounced as it was at Roland Garros. Yeah, Richard, I think we're going to get a, we have a slightly more nuanced fan at Wimbledon. I think you'll get a whole different reaction if we have a Ukrainian versus Belarus or a Ukraine versus Russian reaction at the handshake, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would think it would be just because they tend to be more polite and more diplomatic and you know, maybe a little more shrewder, more savvy fans. Yeah, I, I, I have no idea how they're going to react, but I don't think it's going to be anywhere near the crowd reaction you saw. And I think Eric's right. The interesting thing to me is going to be the press and how does someone like Sabalenka, who I think really has a shot to, you know, get to the final or win, even win the title, how is she going to handle that? Because she's definitely going to be asked about it, you know, a lot. And it was a challenge for her in Paris. And you saw in the end, she probably should have been in the final, and she kind of tightened up at the end of that match, although you have to give Muhova a lot of credit for pulling it out. And the interesting thing is they're in the same little section there, and I picked Muhova as a dark horse, mm. but uh, I think that would be interesting from the bottom, you know, from the bottom section. Yeah. Speaking of that, what's your favorite potential round of 16 matchup? This was another homework assignment I gave you guys. I'm not sure if you did it or not, but I'll let Eric go first. Uh, well, definitely, as Richard alluded to, that potential Sabalenka-Mohova uh, rematch. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Mohova uh, just plays at Wimbledon since she she had that tremendous Roland Garros result yes. and just how she's been able to process all that and kind of get back uh, get back to it. But she certainly proved she has the game to, to win anywhere. So I know that Sabalenka probably does not want to see Mohova across the net, uh so uh but so we'll see what happens if that does transpire good pick and i think uh we're all very excited to see carolina back on the court and back at wimbledon where she's a two-time quarter finalist obviously knows her way around the grass pretty well richard was that your pick also uh i'm i'm sad to say i didn't do my homework on that one but as you guys were talking i was looking through the there draw. you go on the men's side, um, you know, Alcaraz, Demonor, I know it doesn't sound like the most sexy match, but they just played in the Queens Club final. It was a pretty interesting final, and, and Demon is good on grass. I mean, he grew yeah. up, he knows how to play on grass. He hits low. They're both really uh, fast guys. Great court coverage, and you saw some really exciting points, so that could be a Queens Club final rematch. Cool. I like that one. Uh, and uh, for me, I went with the same section of the draw on the women's side, the bottom half, by the way. Completely stacked. I went with Owens, Jabor, and Petra Kvitova, a potential round of 16 matchup mm-hmm. in the in the top section of the lower half. It's that that particular quarter, by the way, is just so rock solid. You got Pliskova in there. You got Kvitova. You got Hadad Maya, who's fresh off a, a great run at Roland Garros. Um, Ostapenko's also in there. Then you go down to the to the lower section of that half. You got Rybakina, Sakari, Keys, Potapova. 
Krachikova, Mukova, the whole lower half, I feel like, is and Sabalenka, of course, anchoring that half, is is the harder half, where I think that Egan... Yeah, and even in that Ostapenko site, you have Andrescu in that section, too. And like you said, Pliskova's a Wimbledon finalist, you know? Yeah, so yeah, I think I think on the women's side, the definitely the top half is the easier half, and that opens a little bit of some some avenues maybe for Coco Goff and Jessica Pagula and other players to get deep. Um, but and also I think it helps Igish Fiatek a little bit. But um, um, but those that's my round of sixteen matchup. And and since we're doing last second look ins like you did there, Richard, I also kind of peek in and see that Francis Tiafo could face um, could face. Holger Rune in a, in a round of 16 yeah. matchup. I think that would be a very high-octane, electrifying match that I'd like to see. I don't think I don't necessarily think it will happen, but it would be cool. I'm, I'm very excited about Tiafo in terms for this tournament and based on what he did in Stuttgart winning the title and just on how he's playing on the faster surfaces over what, uh, in general, his serve, his hands. I think he's got a chance to make a run here if things break his way. Yeah, and great hands, and he's not afraid to close at the net, and also to be a top ten guy and know that he belong. You know, do it by winning a title and know that you belong. I, his confidence has to be really sky high, and I think he's got one of the great underrated coaches, Wayne Ferrer, who's a great, great tactician as a player and as a coach. Yep, definitely. And I think um, interesting first rounder, Eric. I wonder if you have a take on Coco Golf and Sophia Kennan. That is an interesting first <laughs> round. Uh, the return of Sophia Kennan. Uh, qualify and uh, absolutely and uh yeah i think and i think there's going to be i think it's going to be interesting how coco responds to that match i mean that could potentially be a three-setter depending on how kenan plays and uh you know i don't want to say that like coco's under the radar on the women's draw but uh because of the other players that we've mentioned it'd be interesting to kind of see how she kind of navigates her draw of course there's so much expectation for her to uh to to do well especially at Wimbledon um I'm still a little I think her forehand is still a little suspect I think that's I think that's still the issue for her but for sure. um, yeah that's definitely going to be a great uh first rounder yeah interesting that it was Kennan who defeated Goff at 2020 on route to her first major title it's Kennan who's the one that's got the grand slam title to her name in this matchup but yeah I think you're I think you're right in a little bit that that Coco maybe is under the radar people People have been, you know, feeling like she's been quarterfinals and very steady, but has a little bit of trouble against the higher-ranked players. And, of course, uh, Iga Sviatek has been a tough one for her to solve. She's lost all 14 sets she's played against Iga, and she could meet her again in the quarterfinals here. And I think I'll ask you this, Richard. If there's any surface where Coco's going to have a chance against Iga, wouldn't it be grass? I would agree with you. I just think, like you said at the to, in the preface, it's just a nightmare matchup for when you're not winning a set, a single set in every match. Yeah, I would agree because the serve, she can generate more free points. Yes. But, you know, Coco herself, she was asked in Eastbourne to rate her surface. She said grass, she considers her third best surface, even though she's had really, you know, some good results. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's her best shot, but I don't think it's a, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a great matchup for her if they play. I, I just don't see her getting through that, but you never know. I mean, she's explosive. She can do a lot with the ball, but she has not solved Iga. It's just that simple. Yeah. Well, let's, let's hope she gets another ch- uh, chance at it in the quarterfinals. If, if oh, so, yeah, I'd love be to good see it. Time. But, you know, like you guys said, the Ken and Matt, I mean, that's a that's a tough match when you're playing someone who's already played three rounds. And Kenan beat Taylor Townsend, I believe. To, to, I mean, Kenan's had some good wins, but I would definitely favor Coco in that match. But, you know, Kenan's a Grand Slam champion. You can't look past her. Yeah, that's definitely one of the many popcorn first-rounders we've got at Wimbledon. And speaking of which, any other first-rounders, Eric, that, you've, that we haven't talked about that you think are particularly uh, enticing? Uh, well, definitely there's that Murray match uh, against his fellow uh, Brit, and I'm just looking up his name again real quickly here. Um because I did notice that at Peniston. Yeah. Um, of course, we have to talk about Tsitsipas against the team. I yeah, yeah, yeah an I interesting knew you were... match because just, I mean, it's just interesting to me that it wasn't that long ago that we both saw Tsitsipas and team as like the heir apparent to the big three, and now they're both chasing Alcaraz. Of course, team has had yeah. physical issues for so long. So this is going to be an interesting. Of course, I think Tsitsipas is going to win this, but I think it's just an it's just a fascinating first rounder just to watch. Yeah, for sure. 
And team, I think, will enjoy being the underdog and not being expected to win like some of the other first-rounders he might have had. So, Richard, any first-rounders? And first you feel rounders? like Sipapas is in a good headspace with the whole Bedosa relationship, but don't forget what happened to him against Kyrgios at Wimbledon last year. I mean, he's got some ghosts to deal with uh, <laughs> as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, he, do, he does. Well, any other, uh, Richard, but while, while we're on you, how, what do you got for first-rounders that you're keeping an eye on? Uh, well, you know, we spoke earlier about the Venus Svitolina, just for old times, say two two champions. Um, you know, one I, I just because I pick Court as a kind of a dark horse. He plays Yuri Vesely. He's a, he's a lefty, big serving. That, that could be uh, an interesting one. But I think Eric's right on. The one is Team Sitz, and the winner of that possibly playing Murray. You know, so that's definitely the where you want to be looking. Yeah. Very, very interesting, well-balanced draws. I like Berrettini, Sonego, if Berrettini's healthy. I'm kind of right. I'm kind of scanning right now. There are some men's matches that look pretty attractive to me. Um, I, Kyrgios I, has Gofan, yes. you know, who's a wild card, and uh, so you have the server against the returner there. And, nice uh, Bublik, Mackenzie McDonald. Mackenzie McDonald knows how to play on grass, and, you know, Bublik is Bublik. He's had big, big wins uh, last week. Yeah, and mighty Milos Raonic, former runner-up, is back against Denis Novak. That'll just be interesting to see him. I mean, who knows how far Milos can go. I mean, he's, he's really one of the best players. If you look, took him at his peak, he's one of the best players in this draw, of course, he's not at his peak, and he's a lot older than he was when he when you know, than he was seven years ago when he played the final against Andy Murray. But, but uh, you know, he could be up for an upside surprise. Yeah, he's an enigma to me because I have no idea what to expect. <laughs> but if he's serving anywhere near the way we've seen him serve on grass, you know, he's going to hold serve. Yeah, he can be lights out for sure. Um, looking at the women's side track, trying to track a few. F- other first rounders that we haven't talked about Shelby Rogers and Rybakina could be tricky Rogers is a bit of a giant killer so I have to keep an eye on that match because Rybakina comes in with basically no form and still she said struggling from the illness that that took her out of Roland Garros so if she's not fit she could be right for the upset um I think that might be it yeah. for- Yes, and let's not forget that if she does get past Shelby Rogers, she then may have to face Alizé Cornet, who's always a nightmare to deal with okay. if you're not at your best. So Rabakin is certainly going to have her hands full in the first couple of rounds. Yeah, she's in. Yeah, and Cornet's beaten. She beat Eagle last year. She's beaten Serena there. So you, everybody, I mean, she's she's uh, she's tough, and you get the theatrics too. Yeah, Cornet is definitely tough and plain, plain solid. She always brings her, her A game. She's always get going, you know gunning for those wins. Never really takes a point off in the drama. You you gotta love the drama. Um, absolutely, she's she's a good one. I hope she sticks around for another year or so because um, I, I always find her so entertaining. I think that's it for the first rounders. I got some other things to talk about. In fact, a huge subject that we've got to talk about. We probably should have talked about it at the beginning of the show. Caroline Wozniacki is going to make a comeback this summer at Montreal and then take a wild card into the U.S. Open. I think she'll be 33 by the time she does all this. Mother of two, former number one, 2018 Australian Open champion, one of the best. She's been number one for 71 weeks, I believe. Eric, what's uh, how surprised were you by the fact that Wozniacki is coming back, and what do you expect from her? Do you think she could regain that peak form and maybe even be one of the best players in the game again? Uh, I don't think I was that surprised only because we've seen so many other, uh, players come back after having, uh, a, a child. So it's, it's part of the trend now. I think what would be interesting to see, and she hasn't been out of the game that long. So, um, I mean, she did take a couple of years off, but, uh, yeah. I think, I think more it's how she kind of adjusts now to those players that have kind of come up since since she retired, like Eek, I like Rabak and Ajabor, those those players. So um that's gonna be interesting to see. Uh but if she can get to the level of consistency that she certainly had uh when she got to number one, then she certainly could uh kinda of like an Alina Svitolina who's 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 making such a strong comeback. I think uh, once you have that that confidence that you know you've been to the top of the game before you can get there again, uh, then it's certainly going to be in- intriguing to see how she does, especially at the uh, at the U.S. Open, I think, uh, since she's had such great results there. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch her play those younger players, right? We know We know she can hit a solid ball. We know she can be consistent. For me, the question is, how will she hold up physically? 
can she be that same explosive mover and that same golden retriever? Because she's always played, let's face it, a fairly defensive style of game. She likes to be a she likes to be counterpunched, and she's going to be up against a lot of big hitters, maybe even bigger hitters than she saw in her generation, barring Serena, of course. So, I mean, she, it's not like she doesn't have experience against big hitters, but she's going to be under the gun a lot. And, and, and if she's fit, in my opinion, physically fit, we know she can tactically hang with these women. We know she can hit a clean ball. We know she can be consistent. And we know about the hunger and desire and, and her competitive drive. So I expect her to be a solid player and with her ceiling being her physicality and how just how strong and explosive she can be. If she's really explosive like she used to be, why not back into the top 10? What do you think, Richard? Yeah, I'm, I'm just happy to see her coming back. And for me, when you look at Carolyn and you look at Kerber, it really comes down to the legs because they're both movement was such a big weapon for both of them. And they both had children. Carolyn's had two. Angelique's had one. And sometimes your body just changes and you don't know how what the movement's going to be like. But if they can move, they can compete because, they, you know, they both... Um, you know, can hit the ball. My concern would just be her game, like you said, is more of a grinding game where she's not going to win that many cheap points. But I don't, I, to me, I don't question the physicality. I mean, I, to me, she was always one of the fittest and fastest and always, I mean, she ran the New York City Marathon with basically right. not really training. And, and she ran too. a really exceptional time, too. So that tells you where she's at. Also, she's married to a former and I'm sure they live a very healthy lifestyle. I, I was just wondering if maybe the arthritis issue, maybe it subsided a little bit and she's not getting the inflammation that she was getting when she was training and working out in the past where she was real honest, like, look, I'm just in pain. I mean, my body just hurts from that. So I, I was wondering if maybe the pregnancies and the time just sort of helped her body heal and maybe she just feels really good. And if she feels good, then she's going to play pretty well. I just don't know uh, offensively at wh- how she's going to, how that's going to be and also the speed was also such a big weapon for her and now you like coco you got i mean some of these players are super super quick so i'll be interested to see how it stacks up when you're going against players you're 10 years older than them now it's a little bit of a difference and we've seen it go both ways when hingis came back i realized it was doubles not singles but she was and I said, why did you decide to come back? And she said, I was playing these girls in practice and I was winning. And I was like, why not? If I'm beating them in practice, why not take a shot just playing doubles? And maybe, maybe both of them have been playing. I don't know, but maybe they have been playing and maybe they've been just playing practice sets and feeling good about their game. So I'm really excited to see them both back. I, I just can't really give you a prediction until I... You know, see him play a match. Yeah, and thanks for mentioning Kerber, by the way. That'll be it'll be great to have both former number ones back. A total of four Grand Slams between them. Total legends of the game. Let's let's see what they can do, right? Um, let's get yeah, to- in Kerber's case, it's not like she ever really let. Like she didn't say. She always said, "I'm going to come back." Right, um, right, she, right. I mean, everything I read from her, she's like, oh, "Yeah, I'm pregnant. I'm going to have a baby, but I'm coming back." So I don't look at it like she ever looked at it like my career stopped or ended. She just. I'm taking a pause. I'm going to come back. Just a more of a question of when with Kerber. Now we know when it'll be next year at the Australian Open, a little later than Caroline Wozniacki's uh, comeback, which will begin in, in Montreal this summer. So lots to look forward to even after Wimbledon. But before we get, think ahead too much, Richard, the question goes to you first. Who's going to win the singles title at the All England Club this year? I got to go with Djokovic. I mean, I... I just, just have to just to respect of what he's done and his achievements and how he comes up big. His five set record, his tie break record, his draw. I think it, I just got to go with him. I mean, I hate to be boring, but the guy hasn't lost on center court in ten years. I mean, it's just hard. I'm not saying he can't be beaten. He can be beaten. Everybody can be beaten. But I mean, you got to go with him on the women's. Um, I was leaning towards Sabalenka before I saw the draw, but, you know, that Muhova match really concerns me. Uh, I don't know. I don't have a real clear win. I guess I would I would say I would still lean maybe towards Sabalenka just because she's done well there and Iga hasn't as a pro. But, you know, to me, Iga has a clearer path. And I would never, ever discount Rabakana, and we spoke about... Kvitova, if she gets hot, I would just look at one of those four. I can't. If I, if you put a gun to my head, I guess I would say Sabalenka, but I'm not convinced about it for all the reasons we talked about. You know, coming back, the reception, the pressure, all that stuff. Okay, good stuff, Eric. Your turn. Um, I have to say, I probably have to echo Richard there first on the men's side. It has to be Djokovic. Uh, just again, like I said earlier, it's it's, it's Djokovic against the field, and I. It's hard to see. 
anyone taking the title from him. I mean, of course, we would love to see another Alcaraz rematch, but uh, it's yeah, I just think again, it's 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 Djokovic's title to lose. And on the women's side, uh, I think as Richard alluded to, because there's so many players that have question marks, whether it's health issues or what have you. Um, I'm going to go with Sabalenka, even though she has certainly some question marks of her own coming in, but she has less question marks than I think some of these other players that we, that we talked about. So I'm, I'm going to go with Sabalenka. Cool. I like the pitch. Yeah, and I just, just to follow up what you said about Sabalenka, I was just looking through the stats before he got on. She holds serve, I think it's second, the after of our service games held this year. She's holding serve second on the tour. And, I mean, you hold serve, you're going to get into the tiebreak. She, she's dangerous. I, I do worry about her draw, but I, I kind of agree with every with what you just said. Cool. And uh, I go no, I go Novak as well. There's there's just no ends, ifs or buts about it. He's the best. He's the best on that surface. Yeah, there's a scenario where Sinner and Alcaraz kind of do a tag team and wear wear the old man down, and maybe Alcaraz capitalizes and you know hits out of his shoes and and somehow gets better on grass every single round and just makes this dream come true. But I don't see it happening this year. I think it's Novak's, and I don't know. I got this feeling about Iga on the women's side. I like her professionalism. I like when she has a challenge in front of her, and I think she's been thinking about grass probably since last year. It was probably the one thing that didn't go quite her way, and I think she was really professional about her approach to the surface this season. I think she wants to improve on it, and I think she is improving on it. I feel like her draw is good, and she's just set up to make a run. I don't feel like super confident about it, but I think that's going to be my pick. Iga is going to go for Grand Slam title number five in her first Wimbledon. That would be pretty cool. But, you know, there are a lot of ways this women's draw could break. Um, and I think, my friends, I think we're going to leave it at that. It's been 48 minutes plus the 37 that I spent like an idiot trying to get you guys on the phone. So, I mean, we spent a lot of time together. But let's uh, let's make a promise to come back dur- during the fortnight and talk again, maybe even, uh, maybe even before the end of week one if something crazy breaks. And let's make it a regular habit for the next couple weeks. And, Eric, thank you so much for joining and um, look forward to chatting with you soon. Absolutely. And Richard, same thing to you. You can find us all on Tennis Now, www.tennisnow.com. For the next couple of weeks, we'll be grinding out content for you. Check us out on social, facebook.com slash tennis now, and on Twitter at tennis underscore now. Thank you guys so much for joining, and we'll talk again soon. This edition of the Lucky Let Cord Podcast is a wrap. Special thanks to Eric and Richard for joining for some of the great conversation we had there. I hope you guys are looking forward to Wimbledon, the 136th edition of the championships. Should be exciting. It's going to be wonderful. We'll see you during week one with some hot takes on our next podcast. And in the meantime, we'd love it if you rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Just go into your Apple Podcasts app. Type in Lucky Let Cord Podcast and voila, you can find us there. We always want to hear what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of. And of course, you can find us on Spotify, wherever else you find your podcasts. Your support is very much appreciated, as is your passion for tennis. Enjoy Wimbledon. We'll be back soon. <laughs>